this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Not too long ago, I received a letter in the mail informing me that I had been selected. It made me feel very special because I had been selected for jury duty. Jury duty is not my favorite activity, but I see why it's necessary. So I did my part and I went down to the courthouse and this time I actually made it up to a courtroom and I got to sit in a jury box and be asked questions by the prosecutor, by the defense attorney. And my first impression of it was it was not that good. Uh, The defense attorney was 10 minutes late, made everybody wait. And then he wasn't dressed very well. He seemed to forget what the case was about. And then he asked these weird questions to us. And I, I started to feel bad for the guy who was accused. I thought, this is the guy that's supposed to convince people that he didn't do anything wrong? I got a little worried. I got worried until the prosecutor stood up, and though he was dressed very nicely, he also asked these random questions very long. At one point, the the judge said, quote, get to the point and ask a question. They got better the second day, but the first day was, was pretty bad in my opinion, and that's when I had the realization this is nothing like the movies. I was surprised. This, this is nothing like the movies. So uh, I learned that day, real life, usually not like the movies. And maybe that's news for you too. But in all seriousness, uh, the defense attorney is the person that's supposed to sit between the person who's accused and between the jury or the judge, whoever's deciding the fate and trying to clear the accused name. That's the purpose of the defense attorney, to be the mediator between those two parties. In a spiritual sense, that's what a priest does. A priest stands between us as people and between God, and he mediates between us. Since we're all created by God, within ourselves, we already know things about God and about ourselves. Uh, Let's take a look in the book of Romans. Paul highlights what we know about God. God in chapter 1, and it'll pop up on the screen. For what can be known about God is plain to them, that's us humans, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely God's eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. As humans, the Bible says we know what God is like in a way. We look around us and we see how strong God is, We see how creative he is in everything he made, and we know something of his divine nature. We know he's holy, and we know that we're not like him because we're we're not perfect. We fail. We do bad things. And so we know that he's not going to look at us in a favorable light unless we do something. That's what we say. So we usually turn to good works, And I don't know, you may have friends, or you may have thought this at one point, 
that I would like to do as many good deeds as I can so that when I die, I get to heaven. And then God says, this is how many good deeds you did. This is how many bad deeds. And because you did more good deeds, you can come along into heaven. And that's something that we came up with because we felt we needed to be in a right way standing before God. We've turned that into religions. Uh, we have traditions where we, can, where we tell people how to do these good deeds. We have pilgrimages. We go to holy sites or we, we seek out people that we think have a closer connection with God and they'll put in a good word for us. But the reason we do these things is because we've thought of them and we either don't know what God has revealed or we reject it because God has revealed a way to approach him. For example, good deeds. Um, the people of Israel were chosen by God, and at one point in their history, they were not right with God. They wanted to approach God on their own terms. They didn't care what God said, and they wanted to do good deeds outside of what God revealed. So the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 64, lived that time, and this is what he said about their collective efforts. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And this is because outside of Jesus, our good works, they can't make us more attractive to God. The Bible says we're born broken sinners, and we need to be restored into a right relationship with our Creator. So if we can't do anything by ourselves, then we need help. We need someone to do this for us. And that's precisely what God has done. And that's what Jesus did. Tonight, we're going to look at Jesus as the better high priest and see what he has done for us and what he is doing. So this leads us naturally to our first point for tonight. If you have, uh, you probably have an outline in your worship folders, and I invite you to take notes uh, if you'd like. Our first point for tonight is that Jesus is a better priest. Jesus is a better priest. Jesus is the one that has finished the work for us. He's now representing us to God. He's the one making us attractive to God. Let's take a look together at verse 14 from our text. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Jesus is capable of doing this and being a better priest because he knows God. Let's go back to our courtroom example for a second. Suppose the judge asks a question to the defense attorney. He says, you, Mr. Lawyer, tell me what's your interpretation of this law um, that your client is accused of breaking. When you read this law, why should we let your client off? Why, why, why isn't it applied to him? And if the defense attorney turns around and responds to the judge, Your Honor, I don't know much about the law, but I do know that this guy seems like a decent person, so you should just let him off. That's not going to do him any good. The lawyer needs to know the law in order to explain what the, his client did right and wrong. Well, Jesus knows. Jesus knows God. And that's why he can be a better priest. And he knows God because Jesus is God. The Apostle Paul wrote about 
Jesus about his experience with setting aside his prerogatives as God and taking on our form as a human. He wrote it in the book of Philippians. Uh, let's read a couple of verses and see what happened with Jesus. And the Apostle Paul wrote this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Can you leave that on for a second? Um, verse 6. Verse 6, did not count equality to be a thing to be grasped. It could be paraphrased as Jesus, who though he's of the same nature as God, he didn't think this something to be exploited for his own advantage. He didn't take advantage of the fact that he was God. But what did he do with it? Let's see, verse 7. But Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, in this explanation, note that Paul talks about two qualities within the Godhead. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He meant, Paul mentions humility, he humbled himself, and he mentions obedience or submission. He became obedient to the point of death. Humility and submission are two qualities God likes to see in his children, and they're within him too. But in my experience, humility and submission are not two qualities that are highly esteemed in the culture in which we live, in the society in which we live. They're not really seen as good words because they go so against our nature to want to do and our inclinations. But they're within God, and this will be important later. These qualities will make a cameo later. So Jesus knows God, and because of that, he is a better priest because he himself is God. A lot of people might not like that. A lot of people think Jesus was a great teacher, and that's it. A lot of people say Jesus was actually a prophet, but that was it. The Bible goes out of its way to say that actually Jesus is God, and there are a lot of passages. There's a specific one that shows pretty much everything Jesus has done. And it's really cool. It has a lot of depth, written also by the Apostle Paul from Colossians. And let's take a look and see what it says about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So if something was created, Jesus created it. He's the creator. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Seems like a good place for an amen. Amen. It's really all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And it's, it's good because Jesus knows God and he's the better priest because of that. But not only does he know God, let's go on to our second point. Jesus is a better priest, but also our second point for tonight is that Jesus 
is a better person. Jesus is a better priest. He knows God. But also, in our, in our text, it shows Jesus is a better person. He knows us. Let's take a look together at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, as we are, yet without sin. I was driving to church with Austin a few weeks ago. It was, it was our turn to set up church uh, before the service, to set up the equipment, and we were running a little bit late. To my surprise, nobody else on the road seemed to care that we were running late. It was a little bit frustrating, so I turned to the instrument that was created to let people know when they're getting in your way, the horn. And now, I only honked people when they were doing something irresponsible or illegal, like cutting us off or, or not stopping at a stop sign when it was our turn to go or, you know, the light's been green for two seconds, let's go already. All irresponsible things. And we get to church. I thought I was pretty conservative in my honking at people. And Austin turns to me and says, you know, Manu, you only honked seven times by the time we got here. <laughs> And then I, was, I thought, you were counting how many times I was honking people. <laughs> you are clearly the better person when it comes to driving. <laughs> so thank you for a lesson in patience. I think that's what also makes him a better Uber, Uber driver. Um, so thank you, Austin. But even better than Austin is Jesus. I don't think you're going to be offended at that. <laughs> even better than Austin is Jesus. He is a better person because he knows us, because he became like us. When Jesus walked on earth, he took on our likeness. He took on his own creation's likeness to become man without giving up his divinity. So Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And lest you think like me and say, you know, because Jesus was also God, he probably wasn't tempted in the same way I'm being tempted. Probably wasn't that hard for him. The Bible goes out of its way to show that, no, he was fully human. Our verse 15 says, in every respect, he was tempted as we are. Two chapters ago, in um, Hebrews 2, verse 18, the writer writes also about Jesus. For because he, Jesus himself, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So do you feel discouraged that you're facing something difficult? Is there, is there a temptation in your life that's really tough and that you always seem to fall into? Well, I want you to be encouraged that Jesus went through the same thing, and because he suffered when he was tempted, he's now able to help you and me in a unique way. He knows us, and he knows exactly what we're going through. And he doesn't just sit back and do nothing. God prepares a way to get out of temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the Apostle Paul writes about this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
But what happens when we don't find the way of escape? What happens when we don't endure it? If we fail, if we sin, Jesus, as we're reminding ourselves tonight, Jesus is our high priest, and he intercedes for us. So this literally means that we as children of God cannot fail. Because if we endure the temptation, if we escape, we make it known that Jesus is better than sin. Jesus is a better comfort than sin promises. Jesus is a better pleasure than sin promises. Jesus is better. And God gets the glory. And if we fail, if we do fall into sin, then Jesus' blood covers us. He intercedes for us. And he forgives our sins because of what Jesus did. So Jesus, God still gets the glory. So whatever happens to us, God's going to take care of us, and God gets the glory. It's an amazing Father that we have. Amen? Jesus is the better person. He knows us. And because he knows us, he also knows our needs. And that, thank you, and that leads us to our final point tonight, that Jesus is a better provision. Jesus is a better provision. This makes him the best high priest, the best mediator for us because he knows our need. He doesn't just know God and he's a better priest. He doesn't just know us as a better person, but he knows what we need. He's a better provision. Let's read uh, verse 16 from our text. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in times of need. What... uh, Time of need. What is our greatest need? What do you think our greatest need is? Could it be health? Romanians are very much concerned with health. And for those who don't know, I am Romanian. And we, it's not funny, it's true. (laughs) I'm not making it up. So we care a lot about health. But it's not like we care so much about being the healthiest version of ourselves so much as we don't want to get sick. So, for example, when someone sneezes, you know, in English, we say, God bless you. In Romanian, we say, sanatate, which literally means health. We are wishing health upon you if you sneezed because it's probably because you're not wearing socks or you let the draft of wind hit you and you're getting cold. So we wish health upon you. Is, is health our greatest need? Um, you know, we live in New York, if you don't already know. Um, and living in New York, sometimes I think that money is my greatest need because it's really expensive to live in New York. And I think sometimes if I just had a little bit more, a lot more money that so many of my problems would be solved, right? Is that how you feel? That's usually how it works. More money, less problems. I may not be quoting that right. (laughs) Okay, so if money doesn't solve everything, then what is our greatest need? Is it it for our kids to grow up healthy, to be well-behaved, to go off to college based on merit? Um, (laughs) or, Or is it... Or is our greatest need actually for us all to just get along with each other, finally? 
And I think, I think we're getting closer to our, what our greatest need is because, yes, that is very, very important for us to get along with each other. And this points to what is our greatest need. It's Jesus himself. Without Jesus, we cannot just get along. We as people are just going to keep hating each other and we're just going to keep hurting each other as long as we're left to ourselves. So if, if there's one thing, you look around or we look behind us in history, when we're left to ourselves, it's not good. It's not pretty. Um, we need saving from ourselves. But this is what God did. And this is, I want us all to be encouraged. This is what God is doing. Let's look together at 2 Corinthians 5.21 and see what God is doing. For our sake, that's for us, for all humans, He, God, made Him, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Why did He do that? So that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Feels like another good place for amen. When we place our faith in Jesus, He becomes our mediator. He becomes our great high priest before God the Father, and God sees us as his own righteousness as perfect not because of what we did but because of what jesus did and suddenly when we get a new nature from god we can do things that jesus told us to do before that seem crazy that really are supernatural to do stuff like loving your enemies stuff like praying for someone who's beating you up stuff like blessing people who are speaking evil of us this is what we need. We need to be accepted by God. We need to become the righteousness of God and be like God. That's our greatest need. And we need Jesus for this. And verse 16 says that in our time of need, we can come before him because we placed our faith in Jesus. We can come with confidence before the throne of grace. Now, the writer of the Hebrews knows the world that we live in. Once you place your faith in Jesus, it doesn't suddenly become easy. There will be times of need. Are there going to be tough times? You better believe it. But so is mercy and grace that God is saving up for those times of need. And I want us to be encouraged that in our time of need, when things get painful, things get hard and difficult, God's not absent. And he's not ignorant. And he's not punishing us. He's there with us. But Manu, you're going to ask me, why did God send these tough times our way anyway? It doesn't feel very good. It's really painful. I'm sure God has a lot individual micro reasons for all of us. But two macro reasons that he's revealed in the Bible, God sent, for first is that God sends times of need for our own good. That's right. Because times of need sharpen our affection in Jesus, and they tend to put the things around us into their proper perspective. And the things that we drew a lot of joy from and we put a lot of trust in, we suddenly realize that they are temporary. We're temporary. We're going to die, and then everything else around us is going to be gone. But Jesus is forever. And as a child of God, you have him forever. And he becomes a bigger love in your life. Times of need are for our own good. They sharpen our affection in Jesus. But also, God sends times of need for the good of the ones around you. Because when other people 
see your joy in the middle of suffering, you make Jesus known to them, and suddenly Jesus looks good. You make him known to people. This is what Paul and Silas did. Paul and Silas were two missionaries, lived way back in the book of Acts. And they traveled to a new city called Philippi. And once they got to Philippi, them being good missionaries, they started to talk about Jesus. And some people listened and became Christians. But over a little bit of time, some business owners noticed that they were getting less business because of what they were doing. They couldn't sell their stuff anymore. So they got angry with Paul and Silas. So they grabbed them one day, they took them before the police, before the local government, and they accused them and said, these are Jews, these are here, and they don't listen to Caesar. They're preaching another king. They're preaching Jesus. So it's treason. They're doing bad stuff. And the police and the local government, instead of getting the whole story, they were shocked, and so they decided to scourge Paul and Silas. They, they whipped them publicly. They beat them, and then they put them in jail overnight. They put them literally in the dungeon. And then that night, the Bible writes about what was going on. And Paul and Silas, one thing that the Bible makes clear is that they were Roman citizens, and the government did not do its due diligence to find that out because it was against the law for a Roman citizen to be scourged, to be whipped. So their rights had already been violated. And they were humiliated publicly for doing something good. They were just preaching Jesus. They weren't inciting violence or doing anything bad. And they were not in prison sulking. In fact, Acts 16.25 says that in the, at midnight, they were singing songs. They were singing hymns. And they were telling all the other prisoners how happy they were in Jesus. And everybody was listening. And in the middle of the night, God sends an earthquake, and the prison doors rattle open, and then the jailer, who is responsible for everything, he rushes in there, and he sees all the doors open, and he thinks everybody's escaped. So he takes a sword and wants to kill himself. And then Paul, the missionary, yells out, don't, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. It's okay. So then he brings a torch, and he talks to them, and basically he asks them, Sirs, what can I do to be saved? What can I do to be as happy as you are? You guys should be miserable, but you guys are so happy, and you guys seem to have this source of joy that I don't have. In that instance, God sent that trial for Paul and Silas for the good of others so that they can display how remarkable, how beautiful, and how all-satisfying Jesus is in the middle of tough times. So the Bible makes it clear there will be times of need, but we can be encouraged that Jesus is our better provision for us. What are our next steps in light of all this? Verse 16 says that we can come with confidence. We can come boldly before God, but do you feel like you can come boldly before this God's throne? I don't always feel like that. And it's usually because uh, I have forgotten my identity, who I am in Jesus. As a child of God, all of us that have placed our faith in Jesus, we are children of God. And by faith, we have become the righteousness of God. That's how God sees us in Christ. So when I sin or I fail to find that way of escape, 
Sometimes I can't come boldly because I see that as too big and I see the cross of Jesus as too small. We need to remember that we are God's children. He is our perfect father. So one thing we can do is we can come with confidence. We've placed our faith in Jesus. We can come with confidence. And our proper response to this is also what Jesus himself said. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, he said the following, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. These qualities, this is just submission and humility. That's what Jesus is calling to, just what he is like. And this is, do you know Jesus like this? Because this isn't religion. This is a relationship that we need with God, with God's Son, with Jesus. And I pray that we would have faith in Jesus and that we would trust him even in the middle of times of need because he is he's our better high priest. If you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to do so. And if you need prayer, there will be people praying up here during communion. I invite you to pray with them. We'd love to pray with you. If you have questions, please feel free to talk to me, talk to Pastor Daniel, Pastor Larry. Um, if you have already placed your faith in Jesus, I want us all to be encouraged that Jesus, he, he knows God and he knows us and he knows exactly what we're going through. He is our better high priest, and we can trust him through anything. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you have made for us through your son, Jesus. And thank you for being with us in the middle of our times of need and um, blessing us with your presence. Thanking, thank you for giving us eyes to see you and, and faith for you. And I pray that we would be comforted in the middle of our lives, in the middle of everything that's going on around us, that we would not lose heart, that we would trust you. And we thank you that you love us so much. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.